Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Vital Signs of Democracy podcast. Is democracy threatened in America? Because we never thought in our lifetimes we would be asking that question. Yet, here we are, seemingly more polarized than any other time in our history. So our goal in this podcast isn't to tell you the news, but to help us understand how the stories we hear and believe are crafted for other reasons and how that impacts our belief in a democratic form of governance. We're going to slow down and take a deep look at motivations, interpretations, and yes, the facts themselves. I'm Debbie Lynn Molyneux, co-publisher of The Fulcrum. I'm also the president and CEO of Bridge Alliance, which is a coalition of almost 600 organizations who are working to bring about a thriving, just, and healthy democratic republic. You can learn more about our work at bridgealliance.us. And I'm David Reardon, director of Vital Signs of Democracy. Every two weeks, we publish a rating of the threat level to democracy in this country based on our unique narrative analysis of the news. And we pay particular attention to how both Make America Great narratives from the Biden Democrats and the MAGA Republicans are garnering support from their voters or not. You can find our latest rating at vitalsignsofdemocracy.com. Well, Debbie Lynn, it's good to be with you again. And as we keep saying, there has been no shortage of stories in the last two weeks that are influencing where we could be headed 18 months out from the 2024 election as we are. And if that isn't enough, just yesterday, the long-awaited indictment of Trump for his role in the January 6th insurrection finally arrived with a potential fourth indictment in Georgia rumored to be right behind. So that's a lot to take in. But before we get into the details, how are you feeling at the moment, given the continuing onslaught of challenging news? Well, thank you for asking, David. And it's really good to be back on the podcast with you and and talking about these vital signs of democracy, because right now I feel like our vital signs are really weak. Personally, for me, you know, I have this sense of sadness and anger and despair over this apparent choice that we, the American public, have made towards going into this dystopian nightmare. And many people in my community are still fighting so hard to look for and find the goodness in people across the political spectrum. Uh, They're working hard in their local communities, but our feelings are running really deep right now. And especially, you know, collectively, not just mine, but uh, I'm noticing a lot of depression and cynicism and fear and anger. And to me that respond or is responding, if you will, to the sense of like, what are our vital signs collectively right now? is that we don't have time and space right now to dream because we're so overwhelmed with information and most of it's not good. So how do we then co-create or find space, make space for ourselves and give ourselves that that time to feel safe, to feel okay, and then from there start again? So, So that's how I am doing, David. How are you? Well, I'm feeling a lack of clarity as the fog of social media postings and cable news clouds the political and cultural landscape. So the obvious headline that is charging everything at the moment is that it appears that Trump, the leading MAGA Republican candidate for president, will be running while at the same time being tried in four different cases of criminal behavior. And that is uncharted ground in American politics, to be sure. 
And at the same time, President Biden, in spite of his legislative accomplishments and the economy recovering faster than anyone thought it could, still has low approval ratings. And there are signs that the coalition that barely got him elected in 2020 is soft in its support for him this time around. And one of the big issues, obviously, is his age and his mental state. Now, we're still a long way out from the 2024 election. And this narrative that is currently trending in America, that 70% of the people do not want either Trump or Biden to run again, is really not unique to this time. We saw similar ambivalence in 2016 concerning Hillary and Trump, and again in 2020 with Trump and Biden. However, in those two elections, a record number of voters walked into the booth and still voted along party lines. So it's hard to give the not interested narrative too much credence yet. When I go back to the 2020 election and compare it to what is emerging now, what I see is once Biden became the Democrats' nominee, the choice was clear. And as many said at the time, democracy was on the ballot. So when Biden won, even though the MAGA Republicans took back the House of Representatives, the majority of us Americans breathed a sigh of relief and fully expected us to get back to addressing the considerable challenges in front of us. What we got instead was a dirty smoke bomb from Trump and his allies and conservative media that challenged the 2020 results with the big lie and fomented an attempted coup against the American government. For the last two and a half years, we have continued to relitigate this false narrative, completely distracted from the other things that should be demanding our attention. And if we needed a reminder that the planet is continuing on its own trajectory, regardless of our dystopian political reality show, the unprecedented heat waves this summer are signaling a change is upon us. In the month of July, we had numerous days that were the hottest in the history of the planet since we began keeping records. And even in a rich country like the United States, lacking sufficient water supplies and air conditioning, you know, a place like Phoenix, Arizona could be in the same boat very easily. So at VSD, as we look into the pool of potential futures, the water seems at best murky and hard to read. And where clarity is going to come from, based on the narratives we are analyzing now, is anyone's guess at the moment. Well, let's throw a stake in the ground right here that a vital sign of democracy is a healthy beating heart that is powered by the citizens and where the majority actually rules. So I'm just going to put that stake in the ground because what we have now, we were joking about it in the in the run-up to starting the recording. It feels like we kind of have a zombie democracy right now. So it like looks like a democracy, but there's not actually a beating heart because of the uh, oligarchic tendencies uh, that we are all reacting to. Say some more about what that looks like to you. We have one party that's not playing by the rules, uh, the established rules of the game of self-governance. Yeah. And the other party keeps expecting them to to play by the rules of self-governance, which are obviously no longer applying. And we haven't yet established new rules that everyone agrees to. And this is part of why we live in such an uncertain time also, because our, our formal and informal 
agreements about how we do business together, how we live together, how we govern together are breaking down. When I think about this in terms of like the larger story, David, this is when I feel like we are living in and through an epic time. Epic times are full of drama and division and we don't know what the solution is going to be. You know, the, the crash of 1929 that led to the Great Depression, that was an epic time when big things were changing. In the, the pre-revolutionary war times, the colonial times, when we were trying to figure out who we were as a nation, all we knew at the time, we were reacting, if you will, to the taxation from England uh, to fund their war with France and, and having no say in governance. That led to this, this innovative breakthrough that in, has inspired now people around the world to declare their, their own ability to self-govern. We're in that time again where we need to come up with what's next. And this is part of why I'm really glad to do this podcast with you and explore some of those options. I like your notions of zombie democracy and epic times. Let me take the zombie democracy first. In 2020, there was some expectation that the election of President Biden would settle the question of the survival of democracy in America. Instead, we got the unprecedented and unlawful challenge to those results without any proof to back it up. The big lie we're all so familiar with. However, even now, after all the evidence that has been presented by the January 6th committee and the details contained in the three soon-to-be-four indictments of Trump's criminal behavior, 75% of Republicans still believe that Biden is an illegitimate president. In other words, nothing was settled. The chaos makers continue to double down on this, and as much as we would like to make a clear choice between two alternatives, the 2024 election, given our analysis, is shaping up at the very best to be a continuance of this constitutional crisis decided by a few thousand votes in three battleground states. So, instead of achieving clarity, our political reality show is lurching forward, as you put it, like a brain-dead zombie. And if this zombie narrative carries the day, the result won't be either a democracy or an autocracy, but rather something much more vague, like an oligarchy, where there is a loose agreement among politicians, rich people, corporations, and even now, state militias, to maintain the status quo. That outcome does not feature the strong beating heart of the majority of Americans. So let's turn to your notion of an epic time. This brings to mind the two ways that we at Vital Signs see change take place. In a stable system, change is mostly incremental. Stories slowly evolve over longer time periods. In the other scenario, change happens as a sudden spike of activity that in a very short time frame changes everything about the world as we knew it. As you showed us in your two examples of epic times represented by the Wall Street crash or the Revolutionary War breaking out, these are examples of a sudden change taking place. However, in those moments, what seems like it is happening suddenly, out of nowhere, is actually just the final result of a murky pool of possibilities that have been percolating for a while. 
So based on our narrative analysis at Vital Signs, when we say the future seems to be murky, it could mean the system is getting ready to make a big change, in this case, either to a renewed, stronger democracy or something darker. So let's tell an epic story with a happy ending. That's that's really what I want to, to pull in, because right now we're seeing you know power concentrated again into ever smaller circles of people. Mm-hmm. It's the same way that it's been before every big leap forward. There has been a concentration of power, and it takes an active movement of people restoring their own role as a citizen. I, I don't see any other way forward that doesn't end in dystopian autocratic rule other than this perhaps you know zombie democracy that we just talked about of the oligarchy kind of pulling all the strings so the obvious question and what you have postulated is how do you break through the limited zombie view we have talked before about the hope we see in the majority of americans that show up in the national polls that are in general agreement concerning voting rights or a woman's right to choose or gun reform. This majority is made up of moderate conservatives, independents, and liberals. At the moment, however, neither party either wants to call this group to action or doesn't know how. So what we get based on our current electoral system is a result that is decided by a handful of voters in a small number of states, as we've said before. And that result, like we saw with Trump's election in 2016, represents the will of a minority of the American people. So the question remains, how can you moderate seemingly fixed polarized views when each side demonizes the other and believes if their opponents win the next election, America will collapse? I would actually modify what you're saying there uh, a little bit in that I think what we're seeing is the centering of European dominant culture is where the protection is. It's like there are people who are afraid of losing that kind of um, white predominantly male culture is shifting to something else, mm-hmm. that something else is unknown. And that I think that is the part that really scares people regardless of, of their skin tone, because that's all we know. That's what has been since the inception of, of the United States. And, and the more you know, we keep feeding this divide, the more divided we become. I just see that as a, as a further, further quagmire that helps either the zombie democracy or the oligarchy continue into infinity unless we, the people, actually figure it out. Here's what we see when we're doing our narrative analysis at Vital Signs. In stable times, when change takes place Incrementally, a majority of the populace of a town, state, or nation can rally together to meet some new threat. Many times, the only challenge in that moment is just getting busy people to pay attention. However, since 2016, we've had two completely different Make America Great narratives that have their own exclusive set of talking points. So instead of citizens debating each other based on a common set of facts and coming to a conclusion of what the majority can live with, in 2023 America, half the country still doesn't accept Biden's election as legitimate, and the other half demonizes them for it. And the political and media pundits who continue to push this legitimacy question 
know, based on the evidence that has been collected in a multitude of criminal cases, their claims of fraud in the 2020 election have proven totally false. And it goes even further than that. In the white conservative narrative you mentioned earlier, anyone who is not a true believer is labeled woke. You are either in or out of the MAGA movement. Even though woke is not a real thing in the way the MAGA forces use it, we see these two American narratives clash with each other, often, sometimes violently, at school board and city council meetings. In that environment, civil engagement with each other, in a sense, only makes the situation worse because there is no common narrative that everyone is trying to solve for. That is the nature of murky, chaotic times like we find ourselves in. And you might ask, who benefits from such chaos? One group are the cable and social media news outlets that push one of these American narratives and demonize the other. How do they benefit? Their coverage is based on the premise that conflict attracts eyeballs. The more that they can make their audience angry, even to the point of violence, the more money they can make on advertising. In all our talk about regulating cable and social media news platforms, if these big tech companies don't change this basic business plan based on formatting conflict, all the talk about supposedly moderating these online engagements is completely useless. Pulling out of my uh, coaching history, so, you know, and, and I used to coach people, uh, especially uh, small business owners. One of the things that we learn just kind of growing up in America is what I call the do have be model. It's like you do these certain things so that you can have what you want and then you can be happy. And I think that that model actually needs to be reexamined. It's really good for growing an economy or uh, doing business, but it doesn't give you a whole lot of options in that do category. Like there's only certain things that you can do. I find it a more helpful model what is referred to as the be, do, have model. Be who you are, be the, your best citizen, give yourself an A for citizenship. So do so. be the citizen. Do the activities a citizen does. The activities of a citizen include, you know, staying in touch with your elected officials, staying up to date on your city council meetings and what your congressman's voting for. Participate in the PTA with your, your kid's school. Those are all the activities that citizens should do. And then you can have a community that is not based in division because you already know all the, the people that are relevant to your life. You can have a peaceful existence uh, that you we have co-created with each other. So be, do, have is the model I think we should adapt. I get your frustration. I, I do. But we have a saying in the narrative business, if you don't like the story you're telling, change it. Sometimes this is easier said than done. In this present environment, those citizens you're talking about that would normally come together informed by a common set of facts are instead getting two completely different interpretations of events that are designed to get both sides to fear and loathe their neighbors that hold the other view. As you mentioned earlier, we have two competing narratives in this country. One wants to save America for white people, a story that believes that only white people are responsible for making America the world power it is. And the other recognizes some of that history, 
but also holds that America's demographics are changing and wants to save America for everyone, including people of color and women. The only hope in this current fractured, narrow environment that we see is that the majority of voters, like we talked about before, has to say enough to the warring, polarized groups on either side of the aisle and recreate that community you're talking about that used to thrive in America as they debated their way forward based on a common field of reality. Another issue in changing our story from the conflict we are currently experiencing is that the two major parties, the Republicans and the Democrats, have a lock on the election system. It's very hard for a third party with a more centrist view to get traction when they're up against the big machines of the major parties. Now, this election could be different than no labels effort that is resisting both Trump and Biden as candidates for 2024 is very well funded by conservative billionaires. I mean, they might not win the presidency, but they could attract enough of a percentage of the vote that would force the two major parties to negotiate with them. We see this in the parliamentary systems in European countries, for example. They have lots of parties. For one party to win an election, they must make deals with other parties until they have a majority of the votes. This system theoretically encourages deal-making that is supposed to benefit more of the country's citizens than a binary choice. However, Israel is currently experiencing the downside when bad actors attempt to manipulate it. Israel has had five elections in four years. Each time, the coalition of parties that seem to win fails to form a sustainable government. And this has benefited Netanyahu, Israel's Trump-like character. In a sense, Israeli voters got tired of the noise and chose his right-wing coalition that promised they would reestablish stability. Israel is now locked in a constitutional struggle. Netanyahu's followers have passed a law that severely limits the power of the Israeli courts to rule on behalf of the people. This law also makes it literally impossible for the courts to convict him of his crimes. Thousands of Israelis now demonstrating in the streets are ruining the day they didn't take their elections more seriously. If Netanyahu is successful in getting this new law to stick, Israel's democracy will be dramatically impacted. And it's a tale of caution that could mirror what could happen here in the States. But enough of the big picture. I don't want to discount what you said earlier about civic engagement at the community level. Can you say more about the qualities you look for if that's the desired path forward? Yeah, and I, th I think what you're pointing to as well is that there's still a preponderance of conflict profiteers among us. And these are the people that wind all of us up to make us outraged so that they can make money. And the outrage doesn't serve us. The money uh, is not shared. You know, it's feeding into the oligarchy, actually. So how do we address, and this is like an ongoing rhetorical question, David, because there's no answer to it yet. <laughs> but how do we take out the conflict profiteers? Yeah. How do we make them irrelevant to what we're trying to do? That's yeah. the part that like, well, man, I, so I, would die, I would die a happy woman if I could figure that one out. Well, I agree with you that in more stable times, civic engagement 
is the key process that can make a difference. I want to go back to your notion, however, that we are living in epic times. We said earlier that one of the qualities of these epic times is that change takes place suddenly, sometimes violently. Once that scenario is in motion, nothing is ever the same again. And as we are seeing in the situation in Israel, the voters tired after five years of trying to stabilize their political system and in a sense pulled back out of overwhelm and frustration to just live their lives. And there's nothing wrong with that. Sometimes it is in the individual gestures we make that a real difference can be made. However, the danger in pulling back from full engagement during epic times, as frustrating as it can be, is that someone else you didn't anticipate could end up making decisions for you that will fundamentally change your life. Those of us at Vital Signs worry that in the current malaise in America, this fog of war we keep describing will discourage citizens from being actively involved and the majority of modern conservatives, independents, and liberals will not stand up and push the polarized radicals back to where they belong. And so far, what makes the run-up to the 2024 election different than we experienced in 2020 is that there seems to be, based on the current polls, two uninspired candidates to choose from. If, in fact, this continues into next year, and either or both nominating conventions end up in a stalemate, a surprise choice could emerge that might not be the best thing for our democracy. We see the no-labels effort as one of those wild cards, where unidentified dark money is backing alternative that could prevent any candidate from achieving a majority and lead to a surprise strongman showing up promising to end the confusion like Netanyahu is doing in Israel. We're keeping a close eye on all of that. So before we finish up, I want to ask you the big question I was referring to. A year from now, who do you think the MAGA Republicans and Biden Democrats will nominate for president? And if you don't know who, what do you think the feeling tone will be that we started this podcast discussing? That, I think, is where we need to plan our life or we need to have what I call a civic life plan. So there's, you know, we we plan our careers, we plan our education, we plan our kids' education, we plan our retirement we plan like when are we going to get married and all these kind of things. Most people don't have a civic life plan. And I think it's something that we add on because it will change over time. And what I have witnessed from people who are very actively involved within their, their civic community is that it, it goes through like, you know, the early adult phase is, is their more kind of activist phase, if you will. And then when they get married and have kids, then, you know, the school boards are where they are active at. And then when they the kids uh, graduate and they're empty nesters again, they come back into community organizations, what, be that Rotary or League of Women Voters, I'm dating myself now, or some others that I don't know of. But there's a life cycle to being a civically engaged person. And I think that needs to be part of our plans to enact our role as citizens. When I first got involved in politics and I was uh, part of a, a group called the National Women's Political Caucus out in Fresno, California, 
we would hear a lot of women, I was in my late 30s at the time, you know, talking about, oh, I'm too busy. I can't get involved. I can't do this. And these women who were part of the feminist movement in the 1970s said, don't give me that BS. I had a husband, a job, raised two kids, and still found time to do my political work at a time when, you know, women had even more barriers to entry than you have now. Ironically, as one of the, the people in 2008 who got swept up and volunteered on Barack Obama's campaign, we, the American people, also let him down because once he was elected, we didn't continue showing up. And then the division of the backlash, if you will, from the racists, I don't know what else to call them, but the backlash from conservative America, let's just say the backlash from the conservative party who determined that they would rather see Barack Obama fail than actually pass bipartisan legislation fed and continues to feed into the cynicism that leads, leaves us where we are today. So Obama is an interesting case study. As we all remember, in 2008, the common wisdom believed Hillary Clinton was going to be the Democratic nominee for president. No one saw this young black man with the funny name rising out of the status quo to inspire those like you and me who were lukewarm about Hillary. So when we talk about what can break our current chaotic stalemate, sometimes it is an inspired surprise that no one sees coming something that fundamentally changes what is considered possible. The flip side of that, however, as you also mentioned, is that kind of radical change can also invite a backlash that can lead to the election season cynicism you're feeling. If there is a surprise out there that we don't see yet that would help us move towards a more healthy democracy in 2024, we have to be involved to pick it up when it challenges the status quo. Lacking that, somebody else may be more involved and that their surprise may set the tone for what actually emerges. Whether you like that or not will not be up to you in that moment. So it's going to be really interesting to see how all of this continues to play out and whether any clarity starts to arise out of the murkiness that we've been talking about today. Thanks, Debbie Lynn, for all your excellent analysis, as always. And to those of you in the audience, you can get all the headlines concerning democracy at thefulcrum.us and the latest threat ratings to democracy in America at vitalsignsofdemocracy.com. So here's a little homework for you to think about before next time. Think about how you would define yourself as a true patriot. Who do you include in that circle of care? Who do you stand up for that makes America great again for everyone? Until next time, take care.